Welcome back to Armchair Producers, episode 185. Sorry for the long hiatus. We have had the shitstorm come down on us that is also known as life. Um, but enough with those delays. I am George Terran, one of your hosts, alongside the man you all join us to, to just bathe in the glory of him. Lord and Saviour, Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy, and I bless our viewers this good. Uh, is it Wednesday? It's a Wednesday evening. I'm unemployed, so I don't know what day of a week it is. Um, <laughs> unemployment <Get a> ends. <laughs> it ends next Monday, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> so, uh, and I will be having to go back into the office three days a week, which is just, just inhumane these days for people like oh. me. And George is just like, off, you know, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I hate going into the office. It sucks. Um, but that's the, that's what we have to do. I also apologize for our delay. I had people visiting us from overseas who were supposed to arrive two Wednesdays ago. They did not arrive two Wednesdays ago because <laughs> their their airline, which rhymes with United, um, cancelled their flight two days in a row. And and from from what you said, they cancelled the flight while they were already on the plane. The second day, the first day, at least, I had the courtesy to to tell them they were cancelling their flight before they left home to go to the uh, airport, which is a couple of hours away. Uh, so they, at least they stay, stay home. Then the next day, they get to spend all day around hanging around the airport waiting after getting there. I mean, get on the plane to be told there was no one to fly the plane and <laughs> get off, and, they, and the flight was cancelled. <laughs> I, I love that that idea like so like ah oh, no pilot is just clocking off done dusted what, you, did, did no one look at the roster uh, well yeah yeah like someone called in <laughs> sick i i don't know how it works like is that seinfeld <laughs> bit from the 90s going does the plane have keys like do they ever does the pilot ever forget the keys to the plane <laughs> it's like oh um, man i left them in the public toilet yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, it's they didn't arrive until the next day, but we didn't know that until it was too late. So you know, um, if you're oh, ever well. flying, if you're ever flying internationally to or from Australia, maybe avoid airlines that start with U and end in D. And we are not sponsored by them. And if they run with blighted, maybe. Um, but yes, that uh, uh, I've fortunately never had the experience of having my flight cancelled. After getting on the plane and waiting for an hour, yeah, that that's that's quite a special one. You and yeah. knowing most the no the notoriously bad terms and conditions of airlines is probably so like yeah, sorry, flight's not refundable, and not transferable. They, they did get put on the next day's flight, so they did get here eventually. So yeah, <laughs> that worked out well. But um, you know, uh, it did kind of mess up our schedule a little bit. But we are back. We are here to talk uh, about movies we watched three or four weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> See, how much we can remember about them? Um, Let, let's let's just uh, let's just call this what it is. This is a cage respective, and if you if you watch quality Nicolas Cage, you're never gonna forget it. So I think that we're gonna be able to remember this pretty well. Let's get on to our chain movie of the week, where we followed on from last time's uh, James Mangold directed. John Cusack, Ray Liotta starring Identity. We are following John C. McGinley. And yes, 
for any eagle-eyed and eared listeners out there, yes, we have used John C. McGinley once before in the chain. But it was right near the beginning, so I think we were okay. And most of the people probably wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't said anything. So yeah, on my so own, you need to pay very close attention. <laughs> I do, damn it. <laughs> sort of, kind of. Um, we are talking about Con Air, the 1997 um, action classic, I suppose. Now, was, was you or me who picked this? I did. You did. Now, have I you... have a I have a, an objection to start with though. Oh, John C. McGinley is not our link. John C. McGinley is not in this film. Wait, he's not. It's it's uh, he's not in this film. He's not. Okay, who Are was you thinking of a John Cusack? Is our link? Yeah, that's huh. Where did I get that? John, John C. McGinley was the link from. Was he the link from? He was in the um, the radio film, the Oliver Stone. Uh, um, yes, and that's how that's how exciting the film was. That I can't remember what it was called. It was the Oliver Stone radio film we watched. Talk radio, uh, talk radio. He was the link uh, from that, and when, I don't know if he was the, was he the link into uh, identity. We should be paying closer attention. I can't remember. He, he was the link into identity. Yes, right. yes, but. To clarify, John Cusack here is our link. I had never seen this film before because it always looked dumb. Um, it, and I don't, and, and seeing the film just did not dissuade me from that impression. Um, it is dumb. Yep. Uh, I also thought it was a Michael Bay film for no reason. No, he said no, no involvement with this film whatsoever. Um, it's Michael Bay light director, uh, Sean West. Simon, Simon West. Um, anyway, so he, he, the British-born Simon West. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the uh, Tomb Raider film, I think. Yes, one of them at least. So if you are one of a few people in the world like me who had not seen it or does not know what it's about, newly paroled ex-con and former U.S. Ranger Cameron Poe finds himself trapped in a prisoner transport plane where, pass- where the passengers seize control. Mm-hmm. This is a Bruckheimer film, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, it feels very much. So maybe that's the link, really, because it's yeah. the Jerry Bruckheimer rather than the Michael Bay connection. Um, this is a very entertaining film. It's dumb, but it's fun. That's And it kind of set us off in the house here because it was about three weeks ago we watched this. Yeah, uh, we've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole of '90s action films as a result of this. <laughs> we realised that Michelle had never seen The Rock, she had never seen Face Off, and she had never seen Demolition Man. So <gasps> she didn't. She doesn't understand the free seashells. Um, <laughs> so we have now covered those three films off as a result over the last few weeks, and and I think it's kind of really reinforced to us something that Con Air kind of planted the seed for us. They don't make films like this anymore. No, definitely not. This is not a sequel. This is not a prequel. It's not part of a larger universe. It's not based on a pre-existing property. Yep. It's not linked to anything else. It's not a spin-off. There's mm-hmm. no crossovers. It's just this. Yep. That's all it is. And that is a long-lost treasure of Hollywood, frankly. And even when you look at... <sighs> the times in the last 
let's say 15 years that they have tried flirted with this sort of thing they have gone on to become mega franchises such as john wick or they have failed to do what they intended to do like shoot em up which was that dumb action stupid but entertaining kind of thing and it that led to nowhere i, I think i guess what maybe the difference here is that these films and john wick to mm. a lesser extent or to an extent they mm. played with a straight bat, mm. right? They take themselves quite seriously. Mm. A film like this of a rock, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have jokes mm. and, and laughs. They certainly do have jokes and laughs involved, mm. but they're not winking and nodding at the audience going, you know, this is stupid. We know this is stupid, but we're having fun, aren't we? Which I think mm. a film like Shoot 'em Up, for example, was that Clive Owen? Um, Clive Owen, yeah, Michael Belushi. Yeah terrible film uh and <laughs> they, I, they're not if if, they, if they're winking and nodding at you they kind of like you're in a, yeah we're all in the same joke we know how stupid this film is yeah i don't know it just doesn't feel like it's you don't get to disappear into the film quite so easily it's like i'm enjoying this um ironically you yeah know? um these films were not to be enjoyed ironically they were to be enjoyed yes this is a big mac of a movie it yeah. knows it's not very good for you it's not doing anything special, but it does it to perfection. It's it's the kind of overindulgence, hedonistic style. Do you remember the um, the advert for? I think it was ah, uh, oh, there was a, some speaker system, and it was that guy in a suit, and it was just slowly but surely kind of blowing him back, and the the uh, martini glass slid back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, TDK or something like that. Yeah. And it was just that kind of idea of you are going to be hit with this wall of stuff and you're going to enjoy it because of it. That's what these kinds of 90s action movies were kindly kind of about. So like, all right, you know what? We've got an idea. Let's roll with it. And the, it, uh, you know, everything is, I think, the, I think the cast is having fun with it. Yeah. We've got some very well-known stars in this. Um, Mm-hmm. Obviously, we talked about our link here uh, to last week, John Cusack. Um, we have, of course, the great Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. John Malkovich, a very highly respected actor. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's won the Academy Award or not, but he's, you know, he's been in some very famous, you know, movies uh, and known for being uh- a very fine actor. Cole <laughs> Meany, known for, of course, um, Star Trek. Yep. Michael T. Williamson, Ving Rhames, a couple of years coming off. Um, uh, Pulp Fiction, yeah. Uh, uh, Danny Trejo, who yep. probably wasn't he's, he's a big deal now. Dave, Ch- very young Dave Chappelle, yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi, who was a big deal in the nineties. Again, made yep. famous, I think, largely by Quentin Tarantino, known for his indie work. Yeah. Um, even characters, actors, actors like Rachel Ticotin, who you will recognize from some Paul Verhoeven films. Yeah. Um. Yep. So, so there's some you know action people known for their action work. People yeah. for TV work, and people who are very famous film proper film stars, and mm-hmm. they all look like they're having a really good time being on this thing in this film, and they know yeah. what they're doing is nothing special, but mm-hmm. it all comes together beautifully in the end. Yeah, um, and I think you you were talking about that sort of like um, winking at the audience and knowing what kind of role it is and what kind of ex- a story they're trying to tell because of simple little things like the 
the slow getting off the bus image um, of Nicolas Cage. Uh, what's his name? Cameron Poe. Poe. Um, as the fresh air is hitting his face, and just that it's it's a look from like it's the kind of look and the acting is almost from like a washing machine commercial where your <laughs> clothes are just so fresh. You just can't help but take it in. And it's so, it, it's the most stupidest over the top kind of moment in a bloody action movie about this. This is a prototype for snakes on a plane kind of. It's like, okay. Let's not understand how dumb this film is. Just to cover off for a second. The writer is Scott Rosenberg. We talked to the director of Summer West. Yes. Probably best known for the Tomb Raider films, I think. Yes. Other than Lentonair, um, Scott Rosenberg did some really good things and eh, some not so good things. Yeah. He wrote, um, apart from Con Air, he also did things to do in Denver when you're dead, which I think is, if I remember correctly, is pretty decent. He wrote yeah. a screenplay for High Fidelity, which is a great film. Mm -hmm. uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. That's another one I never saw. Um, he also wrote the screenplay for the recent Jumanji reboot, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. Um, which is actually, I think, a very good film. Yeah. Uh, the Venom reboot, sorry, the Venom screen uh, play, uh, yep. the first one, which was actually decent. Um, he also did Ka Kangaroo Jack screenplay. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're not dealing with, you know. <laughs> um, so he's done some good work, and I think that shows. But he knows when he's onto a good thing, he can really nail it with this particular um, this particular screenplay. And I think it's a good combination with the director, because you said those some of those shots, like of him, but the iconic haircut and the scenes of him in the plane. It's um, back in the box. <laughs> um, it's and it's not underrated how dumb this fucking film is. Like all the way through the film, I'm like, what the fuck would they be doing that for? Like, like the, the fact that. They are transporting all of these guys onto one plane, which I don't know if that actually happens or not. Um, it's a propeller plane in 1997, and they've got their very own shitty prison plane yep. in 99. Like, why are they using propeller planes in 1997? I'm pretty sure we had jets. Um, I, I think it would have been perfect, and I, I, if they had just done a reverse airplane. <laughs> And just had hey. a propeller plane, but with jet engine sounds. <laughs> it's stuff like that all the way through. Like, if you actually, I mean, and I kind of went in maybe with a slightly critical uh, lens on it in the sense that, like, um, you know, like, but you're trying to go, well, I haven't seen this before. And I'm not as, I'm not 18 years old the way I was, or 19, mm. when this film came out. And I might give it a pass. I'm like, why is there a propeller plane? Why are they doing this? Why would they be doing that? You know, just dumb shit all the way through the film. But at every turn, you're like, why did they do that? The answer is so the movie can happen. And um, that is exactly what this movie is and why I think it's sort of like construction-wise works. It Every single thing is escalation. And it's first up, it's a very simple but... Um, borderline realistic prison break in a plane. And then every single time, it just ratches it up a little bit more. So we get that chance to, we get that moment where they're all just tied down and we get an idea of some of the characters and the way that Cyrus the Virus Grissom is introduced. It's kind of like, oh, this is like, 
blockbuster version of Hannibal Lecter style criminal celebrity sort of thing. And then you've got uh, what's uh, what's Steve Buscemi's character's name? Uh, Graham Green, uh, Garland Green. Sorry. Um, they you you start to get a little bit, and they're all it's all tantalizing little bits of oh what this this guy's a badass he's a psycho this guy's all, all talk this and then the action starts happening and then it's like okay yep now we're gonna just pull pull the throttle back a little bit and then we're gonna vroom, again so you're constantly just being fed this as soon as the characters start to run out of interesting things that's when action happens to suddenly shift gear and get keep you interested and get the blood pumping and then telling a bit of narrative through some of the action and then they as well as that they're cutting to john cusack's agent larkin and the like the banter that he has with um agent mallory it's it just knows the pace that it wants to go and it's not like Fast and the Furious or something like that, where it's going, okay, and just go, 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 go. It feathers it and just, so you're always just getting this moment where you feel like you're actually invested and interested in these characters, when in reality, it's just taking a breath before the next action sequence. It's, it's almost like in the 90s, they perfected the art of making a rom-com, at least they seem to. Not saying that they were the better turn films, but there was an actual there's an actual formula to how people write a rom com, and that evolved, I think, in in the late eighties, early nineties, into <laughs> the golden age of a rom com. You know, four weddings in a funeral. You've got mail. You know, when Harry met Sally. Oh, I think that man. you so, know, Kate and Leopold, of course, of course. Um, that yeah, that is lucky. that is one detriment to Com Air. There is no lucky young advertising exec. It is true. But I think action films maybe did the same thing. If Again, watching this and The Rock, uh, they're almost back-to-back, <laughs> they're very similar films in the way they are put together in the sense of <laughs> you're all right. We have a, a character moment and, and we, we, then we have the action moment. Character moment, joke, action moment. You know, like it's – you never far – you never more than a few minutes away from the next action set piece. Yeah. Um, and they were well-staged. Um you know, they're not shaky cam set pieces as became <laughs> you know, so popular, especially in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and I think where John Wick might have started with that, my objection to where John Wick has landed is it's become so over the top. Yeah. That it's almost, it almost entered self parody now. And I know everyone else is completely able to spend their disbelief of those films that I'm not. Um, <laughs> but there's two um, bouncy cars in Paris. Exactly, they turn car damage off or something in the control. <laughs> it's, a bit too, it's almost become like a video game, those films. But when they started, yeah. they had that sense as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess all of that energy now is sucked up into superhero films. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it just feels these films have stakes, right? People die yeah. in these films. Yeah. This is basically die hard on a plane. Yeah. Um, as was, and that's not the first die hard on the plane, it's been done before in. Um, uh, Air Force One as well, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was Die Hard on the Planet of the President. Um, but, you know, Die Hard works, you know, so yeah. on a plane, on a bus, you know, in a building. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It just works and it's fun and entertaining. And there are stakes, people could die, you know. I mean, you're pretty sure the good guy's not going to die, but 
you know, um, uh, <laughs> Bubba from Forrest Gump could have died. You didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, it's my Kelty Williamson, I think, um, that you always be Bubba to me. Um, so, you know, you, if you're part of a bigger thing, yeah, it's part of where Marvel has gone wrong in particular of ladies. There's no stakes. Captain Marvel's not going to die in the Marvels, probably. No. Um, you know, uh, the Guardians had that moment in Guardians 3. We thought, oh, they're going to kill a Star-Lord. Interesting. Yep. And then they didn't. Nope. Um, and so, then, oh, are they going to kill Rocket? Nope. No. Um, so I know it's, I'm sounding very old here. Oh, I reckon my day. But everybody I have this conversation with over the last couple of weeks about we've gone down a Nicolas Cage rabbit hole and it's led to the Sylvester Stallone rabbit hole, you know, and like <laughs> people, everyone misses 90s action films. Yeah. Like people want to see this kind of film, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And I wonder if there's someone out there who's kind of putting two together and going, maybe, you know, something like this, you know, but you not know, a Con Air the last 2. great 90s action movie was The Nice Guys. Ooh. Yes, that was good. And that, uh, it's a good because suggestion. it was written by one of the Shane Black yeah. masters of the 80s and 90s action movies. Um, well, I mean, I we watched an Eccles Cage Quest. We did watch... Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent, which you and I talked about a while ago, but that's probably more of a, an homage or a parody of yeah. a 90s action film, but yeah. it still manages to pull off a lot of those beats yeah. um, pretty well. Yeah. But because, um, uh, because you, you, so did you enjoy this? It sounds like you enjoyed it because it's, Bird on this this mini categorization of nineties movie watching. How does it rack with compared to those other ones? I think it's this is actually a good one. This is solid. This is good. Mm. This is this was I had fun with it. It was just fun. Yep. Uh, I don't think it's as good as The Rock. I think The Rock's a better film. I agree. Um, I think it's just a bit too dumb. <laughs> um, for its own good, it's, it's, you can't quite world. <laughs> can't quite overlook all the dumb going on in this film, uh, mm. and a lot of the acting is kind of over the top. Um, but that suits the film; it doesn't hurt too much. But I think everybody involved in The Rock, mm-hmm. you know, they were at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Bruckheimer and Co. Uh, it was Don Simpson's last film with Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, Nicholas Cage had nailed his action persona. Yeah. Um, Sean Connery did Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh, and you got, you know, even got, you got Great little, in that. little, little, um, little Easter eggs of little juicy pellets, like Michael Bine turning up for about five minutes to see your commander. And you're like, Ooh, Michael Bine, I forgot how awesome he was. Yeah. Nice to see, nice to see Hicks make a comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stuff. And yeah, William C. McGinley and all that kind of Tony Todd's in there. Some really great character actors <laughs> in there as well. Um, it's just a fun, fun movie. And I think, uh, when you read the trivia, it was uh, script doctored by Quentin Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin, amongst other people. Um, and it's kind of fun. That, pretty good writers. Decent writers. It's interesting to sit there and watch it and go, that's Sorkin. Yeah. That's Tarantino, I reckon. Yep. You'll never really know. I mean, maybe nothing in this, they, nothing they wrote ended up in the final script, but yeah, uh, you kind of feel like as occasionally there's a line, you're like, mm, that feels like a Sorkin like, line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so look, that's not to dismiss film. I'm, I, I feel 
strong. I, it's it was an oversight on my behalf to have missed it for this long. It mm. was it was fun, and it really makes me miss. When I mean, I know I'm again going to sound very old saying this, but when I was 15 or 16, a little younger, when this film came out, every couple of weeks, every two or three weeks, there'd be something like this coming out yeah. in my local cinema. Not this good usually. Usually it was pretty fucking bad. Like I'm thinking the film Antonio and Ben, uh, I'm under Santo and did a film with Stallone called Assassins. Oh, yes. And that was trash. But we would be excited to see it all the same yeah. because Sharon Stone was in it and maybe she'd take her top off, you know, yeah. like um, <laughs> it was it was it was just a fun time to be going to the movies. And yeah. I feel a little bad that you don't really get that experience quite so often anymore. I just kind of feel like you, you, you basically need to do your homework before you go to the movies most of the time now. Well, that's it. I've just done a Google search for movies coming out in 2023. And we have got Wonka, a prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, hmm, okay, pre-existing property. Dune Part 2. I'm very much looking forward to it, but pre-existing property. The Possibly the biggest non-franchise um, thing is Oppenheimer but that's directed by Chris Nolan. So it's kind of, he kind of is the franchise to that in a certain degree. Um, there's another Hunger Games movie. There's the Marvels, there's Barbie, Blue Beetle, Craven the Hunter, Gran Turismo, Equalizer 3, Disney's The Wish, which is a new movie. Um, Rebel Moon, a Zack Snyder, Star Wars reject. Star Wars reject. Is that coming out of cinema? Is that it's a Netflix movie, right? I, yeah. It's it's Netflix, but it may come out in cinemas as well. They've toyed with that for a little bit. Uh, you've got Meg Two. You've got a new version of Disney's Haunted Mansion. You've got Insidious movie six or something. Uh, the sequel to Aquaman, Haunting in Venice, which I think is a remake of something. The name seems familiar. Uh, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is... Haunting um, in Venice, by the way, is a Agatha Christie book. It's oh, that's part right. of the yeah. Agatha Christie thing that they're doing. Hercule Poirot, yeah. yeah. Um, you've got Expendables 4. Um, there's Heart of Stone, which is the new Gal Gadot movie, but I don't know anything about it. Um, and then you've got Challenges... Don't know what that's about. Strays, which looks like one of those anthropomorphic dog movies that you typically... I actually saw the trailer for that the other day, and I have to be honest, I don't know if the film's going to be any good, but it's a good trailer. Okay. And then uh, the other one on here is uh, Next Goal Wins, which is the new Taika Waititi movie. So it's a huge portion of pre-existing properties right there. Huge. It's it's pretty much all of it, really. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a rough year. Um, yeah, and then I guess the only time this turns around is when people stop going to see these things, and maybe we're there. I mean, yeah. Dial of Destiny has apparently had a very average opening around the world um, by reading eighty million. It's not been successful, uh, and they need to make about a billion, about nine hundred million plus, to make a profit on this thing thereabouts. I think because this thing cost three hundred million to make, and now. I haven't seen it, so I cannot say anything about the quality of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just saying it needs to make a lot of money to make its money back. 
Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's going to make it. Nope. And that's another failure for Lucasfilm. Yep. Um, and it's another failure for um, a, a big, big money pre-existing property after mm -hmm. The Flash, which I mm -hmm. don't think is going to make its money back because that cost every bit of 250 million or so to make. Yep. 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 Um, so with all that, that's two pretty big flops of very high profile material. I think um, for, for Disney, I think they've kind of invested a little bit too much into the shared universe for Marvel to really be able to change that script too much. They may not have a choice because of Jonathan Majors continuing um, problems there. But still, um, they may try and recapture some of that original. It may very well be. There was a rumor that I saw online that the Ironheart TV show may be a catalyst for bringing back Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, which just further ruins um, any stakes of mortality in the MCU. But, you know, he started the um, MCU. Maybe he can revive it. I don't know. I, I think they need to stop. Yeah. They, <laughs> I think they need to stop. I think but, that they need to realize that it's not always about spending $250 million to make a movie to make a billion. Instead, maybe spend $50 million and make 700 or $800 million and go, you know what? This was more financially viable. Um, so we could be there. We could be at the end yeah. of, or getting to a tipping point where the, the pre-existing shared universe thing starts uh -huh. to have increasingly diminishing returns. I don't, you're right. Disney have particularly invested so much uh -huh. into this. Like they've got everything is in their IP basically. And they're losing money hand over fist at the moment. Yeah. Um, so it's not there. What have they got? They've got Star Wars uh, and Lucasfilm. That's basically all they've got. And they've got, uh, it's Pixar, which they've basically devalued over the last few years by releasing yep. their shit straight to streaming. And uh, we've talked about it in the past, the rumors of them stealing their best animators and bringing them across to the Disney animation side. It's so not surprising that the quality has dropped over at Pixar. And yeah. I think Elemental hasn't done as well as they had hoped either. No, no. Um, it's getting a bit of a second wind at the moment, but that also ties in with school holidays. So that's not really surprising because there's also not much out there for young kids at the moment. And Pixar still has value in that name. Uh, it's taken 187 worldwide. So, I mean, that is low. That's not great um, for a Pixar, a Pixar film. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's some of their more high profile stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, if we go Ooh, back 20 years... right finding, off of Con Air. Can I just say one more thing? I'm just looking, just to reinforce my point in that one. 20 yes. years ago, Finding mm -hmm. Nemo made $941 million in 2003. Uh-huh. So, bit um... Of a, bit of a change. We no have gone off topic, but you're... Right. The top of their game forever. No one. True. We're not, we're not debating that. But it is very telling when... Disney fully buy out Pixar, bring them under the Disney banner, and suddenly the Disney properties start getting better and the Pixar ones start going down. It's like, mm, yep, yep, something, something's happening there. 
Anyway, but that that all spin off the idea that that it is really really nice to see something that was just standalone. Yeah, walk it. You can walk into the cinema, and if you saw it at cinema, or put it on streaming and just sit back and enjoy it. Leave your brain in neutral for a for a two for an hour and a half, and uh, and just you know not have to worry about where this is going to fit into a larger story. Uh, and just to be uh, on my usual hobby horse, it was an hour and fifty five minutes. Um, which is about maybe a little long and maybe could have hacked 10, 15 minutes out of it for me. Yeah. But it's still so much better than the amount of two and a half hour things that come out these days. Yeah. Now, shall we go on to the next Nicolas Cage movie? No. 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 You have the keys. You've got to pick the next film. Oh, that's right. I do have the keys, didn't I? Yes. And I had back three or four weeks ago picked an amazing spin-off that i was going yeah and no i'm not going to use vin rames again um disappointing <laughs> i could if you really wanted to but i'm not going to be that um have have we actually used nicholas cage as a link i don't think we have i don't think we have yeah and i think that might have been where i was thinking of going um and going to a movie that i haven't watched and it's gonna be a, a tough one but bringing out the dead ah it's martin scorsese yes now i have not watched this movie i have but a long time ago when it came out mm. So that's from 1999, so two years after this one. Haunted by the patients he failed to save, a momentarily burned out Manhattan ambulance paramedic fights to maintain his sanity over three increasingly turbulent nights. Now this has got Nicolas Cage, Patricia Arquette, John Goodman, Vin Rames, <laughs> Tom Sizemore, uh, Mark Anthony, Mary Beth Hurt, Cliff Curtis, uh, Nesta Serrano as the top people on the list there. We've also got Martin Scorsese doing the dispatcher voice and directorial duties. But yeah, that's what I want to pick. So beyond, and to be honest, to be clear, we cannot use Scorsese. I'm pretty sure we used him when we did Mean Streets, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did. Um, so no Martin Scorsese link. Um, so mm. you can be safe. But um, we'll have to go a little bit more. Uh, I'll have to go a little bit more obscuro on this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, out the dead for next time. Now you, <laughs> we can, now we can do it. You talk about uh, the Renfield. Renfield. Now, just to be clear, I think I watched this film about five weeks ago. So <laughs> I am going to do my very best here. But if it sounds like I've, I'm a little sketchy on details, just because yeah things have happened That's redfield it. dracula's henchman and inmate at the lunatic asylum for decades longs for a life away from the count his various demands and all the bloodshed that comes with them mm-hmm. this is nicholas holt stars alongside nicholas cage yes and aquafina yes and ben schwartz as the bad guy um <laughs> I think that's the most of the better known actors in here. I don't think there's any else popped up. Uh, directed by um, uh, 
Bella Francesca Lobo's character, I'm going to butcher this name, Shore Agdashlu. She is like one of those people, especially her voice. She has got that deep uh, kind of, maybe it's it's like Middle Eastern Egyptian kind of um, accent to it. It's very smoky kind of voice. You hear it. Oh, yes, yes. Is that voice? Yeah. She was in um, um she was in Law and Order uh for a bit. Um she's she I think. Everything, yeah. Yeah, she and she pops up around oh, she was the voice of Goza in the last uh Ghostbusters film. Um Yeah, yeah I can hear that. <laughs> um nicely that and they're directed here by Chris McKay, who mm-hmm. has uh directed other films including the Lego Batman movie, and mm-hmm. unfortunately for him, the Tomorrow War, because that film uh it is written by uh ryan ridley and robert kirkman so for those of you who don't know who robert kirkman is uh go back to school, please. um he is of course the man behind the walking dead amongst many other things mm-hmm. uh, but ryan ridley you might know is a, a writer for rick and morty ah uh, so and invincible uh only for <laughs> one but uh he also wrote worked on community so um he has hearing that because that's a lot of kind of legacy comic and comedy talent right there but this one it kind of plays it a little bit more of a straight bat it's not the out and out kind of jokes but uh incidental humor i think yes it's not a straight comedy but i mean you can kind of get the meta nature of it from Mm -hmm. um uh from from um we can sort of feel the Rick and Morty influence. Yeah, yeah. That that especially the relationship between Renfield and Dracula. That kind of it. There's uh, more than just a shade of Rick and Morty in in that kind of dynamic for sure. Um. um so, Prox, why did you tell people? <laughs> we we read the um we read the description. What did you think of it? I very much enjoyed it. I think this is one of those things where you kind of think, oh, really? They're, they're doing a, a movie about the side character from Dracula, which is one of, if not the most represented fictional character in cinema. So many people have played Dracula or a vampire of some description. But bringing it into the modern day, and Nicholas Holt is very good at being this kind of character. He's done it before. Like, um, uh, what was that zombie movie that he did? Oh, was it um, Warm Bodies? Uh, Warm Bodies, yes, thank you. Um, and it's sort of like doing a little bit to get a lot. And this kind of brings in a little bit of that, uh, superhero sensibility that we now have in everything with him so like just eating a spider and suddenly becoming super powerful and things like that which is kind of cool the action sequences is kind of cool um but the the person that really gets what movie they're in most is nicholas cage and this is uh, apparently it's one of his top three roles that he has always wanted to play he's always wanted to play superman he can now tick that off, kind of. Um, and, and Captain Nemo. Yes, 
I would I would be very interested in seeing a twenty thousand leagues under the sea film with him as Captain Nemo. It I don't know. I, or would it be social? A, a reboot of um the uh, extraordinary gentleman, a league of extraordinary gentlemen with him as Captain Nemo in that. Could you do it though? Look, I don't know who owns the rights now. Um, I don't, assuming I haven't reverted to Alan Moore because he won't let anybody touch it. I imagine I thought the last time. Um, <laughs> And I don't know what the appetite would be in Hollywood to reboot a deeply unsuccessful comic book movie from 23 odd years ago. Because mm-hmm. um, as we know, they only like to reboot trash, not things that have actual potential that, ideas. Like, yeah, yeah I, I mean, you know, we talked at length about other films we've seen. This would be good, but no one's ever heard of this. And yeah, I think the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would make, could make a sensational film. Yes. But no, I don't know how chances, but um, I'd be excited to see him in any capacity as Captain Nemo. Yeah. But this is overall, um, this is kind of going back to our conversations about 90s action movies. This is kind of like almost like a a blend of the sort of like buddy cop action movie of the 90s with a little bit of the kind of fish out of water element of something like a fish called Wanda, um, it's a bit of a hodgepodge medley, but it's charming. It's endearing. It's got a lot of it, faults and flaws, and it doesn't look spectacular. The production value is okay and generally gets everything that you need it to do, but it looks like, it's like oh, this, this does look like that redheaded stepchild that, you know, we banished upstairs and feed fish to once a month. Um... But it's still like the the makeup effects on Nicolas Nicholas Cage as he's kind of coming back to kind of full flesh version of Dracula is pretty good. Um, so like the action sequences where Renfield kind of rips someone's arms off and stabs arms through bodies and things like that. It looks dumb but fun. It's fine, but it's kind of like B movie schlock. It, it was not quite there for me. I guess. Okay, mm. it, it's it's probably a six, seven out of ten for me kind of film, mm. in the sense that you're right. They, they're deeply, um, the super ultra violent nature of a film. I'm like, yes, that's what I want from a Dracula film. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want gl- glowing or glittering vampires like in freaking Twilight. <laughs> I want sparklers or sparkly vampires. I don't know, um, yeah. but like, I want the guises of blood when things get ripped off. I want the Tarantino esque effects. I want mm-hmm. it to look. You know, people get torn to shreds. I like that in the, in the fight of Dracula. That makes him feel like an actual threat. Uh-huh. Um, same when Nicholas uh, Holt fights people. And so many films just puss out at the violence these days. Like, it's weird. Yeah. You know, if you go back to our conversation in the 90s, remember, everyone would be, oh, violent films, violent films. They're going to make people serial killers. Um, and, you know, we've kind of gone the other end now where, like, you know, all those films, we talked about the, the Marvel films, for example, they just do not actually... Not only do they not have stakes, the violence doesn't have stakes. Like, you don't actually, no. you know, the closest you saw was uh, Thanos getting his head knocked off in um, uh, Infinity Wars, or sorry, Endgame. Um, and yeah, it was kind of, you know, it just didn't Ret- feel like a hat. Retcon. <laughs> you know, like, I want, I kind of want, I want those guys, the kill bill guys, the blood to kind of happen. And they got that really good here. Um, mm. As you said, Nicholas Cage is exactly what he's doing. He's perfect in the role. In fact, I wanted more of him, less yeah. Nicholas Holt. Not that Nicholas Holt was bad. It's just like, I want more Dracula. 
Yeah. You know, he disappears from the film for you know yeah. 10, 20 minutes at a time. And I'm like, I'm less interested in the relationship between Aquafina and uh Renfield than you might think. Aquafina <laughs> seems a little out of place, frankly. I mean, uh, I can't I liked was, her a lot in um Shang-Chi, but not yeah. so much in this. I I respect the fact that they didn't really play on the romance side for Renfield and Aquafina's character. Um, what's her name? Uh, Rebecca. I think that's nice. The fact that just because there's male and female characters that they have to have a romantic engagement. I like the fact that we are getting it more of a common thing than just being friends or associates and things like that. But it also didn't gel in the way that they were hoping, I think. I, and I just, the, some of the underlying plot just didn't work mm. for me. The idea that the entirety of a major US city's police department could be bought off by a criminal family mm. in such an obvious and, you know, overt way is mm. just belies belief to me. And I know maybe I'm looking at this too seriously. It's a dumb action horror film. Yeah, but if I but it's stuff like that that pulls me out of it. Like it, you know, oh, okay, so everyone in the New Orleans PD is on the payroll of the Lobos. Yeah, the Lobo family being even the local mafia gangster family, bigwigs, the bad guys in the film. Like, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. And this uh, is the movie with Dracula. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting angle to have a mob crossover <laughs> with, but it's it's an interesting idea. Um, the, fact, the fact that Dracula and the way that he interacts with the world is more believable than the bored off entire cops. It just shows just where the problem kind of lies. The problem lies on the, the more real side of the spectrum of this movie, the fantastical side, um, Renfield and uh, Dracula works. And when they engage more with the real side and the modern side, that's when it really stumbles. That's because it feels like that was half written to me. I don't know if that was, I don't know what the script development process was. It kind of feels like I've got this cool idea about Renfield and Dracula in the modern day doing cool shit. And you got to base it somewhere. You got to, you got to yeah. build that, that, that you got to build a house on a foundation. And the foundation was, ah, oh, New Orleans, it'll be like gangsters, it'll be police and stuff. And we'll have a cool police detective who gangs that, yeah, like, that kind of felt like that almost felt like an afterthought and it didn't get the love or attention it deserved. This is where I think it should have done something maybe a little bit more like what the original Crow did and just have this nebulous, nameless city with enough personality presented to it in a very claustrophobic movie. There's only a few locations that we go to, but they're always dark and dingy and dangerous. And you believe that world. It doesn't, didn't matter where it was. If they had just made this... New Orleans inspired city with Dracula and Renfield in it. I think that might have just helped if they had just gone, you know what? We're not trying to set this in the real world. We're not going to put it in New Orleans. We're not going to put it in New York where people can recognize this is just a, a flavored city like Gotham City in the animated um, Batman, where it's that like 60s inspired style but they've got mobile phones and things like that where they're just blurring things up just to make it compelling and complete the picture yeah that's, that's a kind of maybe that would have worked and maybe i would have had less of a problem trying to believe but you also know, just yeah, you know, this is going to belied the idea that you know, said the idea yeah but 
they, a possibility that, you know, they were going to take over an entire police force because that's what the story needed to happen. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's and bit... then, it was also kind of a bit mixed message of, wait, did, did this complete poli police takeover just happen? Or was this always there? I don't, I don't know which one's more believable. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that that made it that made it a little hard for me, um, and yeah, so I didn't quite nail it. But it was one of it's good to see Nicolas Cage back in form and doing stuff that yeah. you know is really in his wheelhouse. I think. Yeah, and just looking at the last few movies that he's been in, um, particularly as not just a cameo in them you've got ranfield um and then the unbearable weight of massive talent pig um prisoners of the ghost land he's actually finally kind of engaging with material that he genuinely believes in rather than what can pay off my debt and the results are paying dividends to him people are remembering some, oh shit, yeah he was really good that's right he had some moments back then in the time. He and he wasn't just an action film; he was an Academy Award winner as well. So um, people very easily forget that. Um, so in our Cage Fest, Michelle and I are next going to go to Moonstruck, and then uh, we're going to go to. Uh, a, of course, he's also going to Leaving Las Vegas, which I've actually never mm. seen. Believe it or not. Ah, okay. But I, I think it's a, it's a kind of a thumb up, thumbs up and a half from both of us. Yeah, of I, I'd say so. It's it's entertaining, um, has its flaws, but overall, I think it gets it gets its sort of like intent across the line, um, largely carried by Nicolas Cage, and um, on the Nicholas Holt story, he seems to be one of the front runners for playing the new Lex Luthor in Superman Legacy for James Gunn. I would like, no. I like Nicolas Cage as uh, Nicholas Holt as a actor. I think that he has got potential. He's got, he's a handsome guy. He's got the kind of form that if he needed to bulk up for a role, it wouldn't look odd to him. But I don't think Lex Luthor is the right role. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before he is offered a superhero or supervillain role i would personally be more interested in him being a villain rather than being tied to a franchise because he puts in these unusual performances like his character in um, mad max and things like that fury road he knows how to just kind of push into it and yes i am aware that he was in the matrix uh x-men first class and things like that but he kind of got knocked to the sideline a little bit for the rest of those ones and x-men is currently dead so never mind well, maybe they're going to be, I think they're going to be pretty desperate soon, Marvel. So, you know, well, that's why they're bringing back Hugh Jackman <laughs> sooner rather than later. Well, I mean, yeah, you, can, you can't, I, I question the, the value of something, okay. like, something like that. I, I don't know. Um, it's, um, you know, he's kind of played out, right? We were all very happy with Logan, weren't we? Yes. And um, I, whilst. You know, James Mangold is not a perfect director. I genuinely uh, understand and appreciate him asking the question, why? I, I did a good job of sunsetting him in Logan. Why? why? Because, because money. Yes, because money. 
Um, now, speaking of the cost money, should we move on to the third film tonight? And the uh, film that love uh, came out um, 2013. 2013. Um, before the before no- I'm oh. thinking another Earth, uh, and it's uh, of course the Smith Show. Um, uh, Jalen and Will. Yes, it is. Did you get around to watching this? I did, unfortunately. And my opinion of it has not really changed. So for those who do not know, a crash landing leaves Kitai Rage and his father Cypher stranded on Earth a millennium after events forced humanity's escape. With Cypher injured, Kitai must embark on a perilous journey to signal for help. Wow. Um, and of course, it is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. 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 And written by um, Gary Witter. Gary Witter, who has done some good things in the past. Um, I mm-hmm. think he did. He wrote Rogue One, which everybody says is the good Star Wars film that Disney made. Yes. I and he also agree. Eli. I did not like that. Um, <laughs> he's writing a sequel to The Last Starfighter. Remember The Last Starfighter? Yeah, he's that has been a passion project of his for years. And um, apparently he's working with a director on getting it created, but who knows what will happen there. Uh, so I had never seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for probably the first 20 minutes or so, I was like, a little bit like when we watched Morbius. Michelle yeah. and I watched the first 20 minutes and you know, before he said it's Morbin time. Um, <laughs> you know, we're like, this isn't too bad, actually. Mm. Why was all this the horrible press of this film? This isn't <laughs> terrible. This is actually, oh my god, I'm gonna get digging this. I and mean, then you're like, oh. And then after another 20 minutes, you're like, okay, well, now that it makes sense. And then you're like, the, the the next, you know, hour, you know, hour and a half or so is just absolute trash. Same here. The first 20 minutes, like, okay, there's some yep. potential here, some interesting world building going at the start of a film, mm-hmm. some interesting ideas, mm-hmm. the effects look good, um, and then yep. they crash land on Earth. And so does the movie. And then you're like, okay, that's it. That's that's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> and then stuff just happens for the next hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. what were you thinking? thinking making this like again it, the whole thing looks good that's the best the one good thing i can say about this it looks good it looks all right yeah it, it, i think it looks good the effects are good i think the locations are nice mm-hmm. um it's shot well the cinematography is good mm. the first 20 minutes as i said earlier interesting world building a nice creation of a world and then it's just downhill from there it's fucking terrible what the hell is this <laughs> um it was originally an idea that Will Smith came at, um, came to of it was supposed to be an I uh, basically the idea of father and son having a car crash in the wilderness in Canada or something like that and them surviving and the same story of father being injured and son uh, child going off and um, kind of saving but then he just kept on working it and he called up uh, Gary Witter apparently and like asked him to help and then it became this. And there's even after the initial world building elements, which are messy when you go back and you kind of re-listen to him. So like, okay, so wait, 
So the Earth became uninhabitable, so everyone left Earth, and they landed, and then there was, they, they landed on a planet with, with these um, aliens that hunt via this, the pheromone of fear that's exuded, or the aliens dropped them on, like we're generally led to believe is what would happen with xenomorphs and just planet destroyers and things like that. I, it gets it gets messy and so like okay you know what I'm overthinking it I'm overthinking it so there's aliens that are there that can see people because of the pheromones and the smells and Will Smith is you know he's devoid of emotion so he's invisible he's a ghost walker and so like okay that's that's kind of a cool concept why is everything draped in white sheets that's <laughs> That, every everywhere, the outside of buildings, the inside of the ships, everywhere—it's all just white sheets. It's like, okay, why? What? It's distracting. Okay, that, okay, cool. They've crashed. All right, let's let's get get on with this. All right, so concept of crash landing on thousand-year post-evolved Earth is interesting, but then it's like, okay, wh why? Why the? Why do we need the oxygen? Because there's still plants, so there's oxygen. I think the idea there was that the air is too oxygen rich mm. for um, people yeah. who evolved living on a planet with thinner air. But also, it puts that um, drive of danger on um, Kitai as he's going, and of course he's going to lose. Um, more than he can genuinely survive on. But then it doesn't, you know, apparently it doesn't seem to be too much of a problem by the very end of the movie. It's like, okay, mm, whatever. Um, <sighs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't think Jaden's much of an actor. Um, I think Will, actually, despite his... It'd be easy to see what happens to Will's career over the next few years after what he did at the Oscars. I suggest... He's going to be persona non grata for a little while. Yeah. Um, but notice and note, we've all known for a long time that Will Smith can act. Yeah. Jaden, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think I ever saw anything else he's ever done. I think other than the pursuit of happiness. And yeah. I don't really remember him in that. I don't know that he was in it a lot. He certainly I, can't carry a film. Yeah. I did watch him in The Karate Kid and it was fine. But it wasn't like, oh, this is going to be an, an interesting person to, to watch. Um, he certainly wasn't compelling in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Nobody was, in fairness. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after I said about that, the better. Um, and, and similar to this film, the less said about this piece of shit, the better. I mean, uh, you think the Adam Driver film that came out this year, 65. Yeah, um, reminded me. It looked a little bit like this, and you kind of yeah. got to wonder if if it's reminding me of a film like After Earth, whether you should be making it, should you be doing it? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, and um, there's so like some people have kind of said, oh, some of the societal things of the the New Earth or whatever they call it seem a little bit indicative of uh, Scientology, but I think. People might be trying to read a little bit too much of Will Smith's Scientology into this. I didn't um, even know he was a Scientologist. 
Apparently he is, yeah. I've, I've, well, I did some research and he claims they claim they're not, but um, uh, Leah Remini says they are. <laughs> Interesting. But um, yeah, this, this isn't on the same level as Battlefield Earth for sure. Um, but it's still just kind of, what is M. Night Shyamalan doing making this film? This is not the sort of thing that he is good at. Um, it's, and even to himself, it's like, yeah, the allure of making a big blockbuster movie is amazing. And people were up until this real death knot for Shyamalan offering him superhero movies and things like that. And he was saying, no, the idea of father and son being a bad, uh, lost in survival yeah, there is a certain level of compelling nature to that. But when you take emotion out of a character, what are we supposed to engage with? And so Will Smith is supposed to be this stoic, emotionless person, but we don't see enough of him actually genuinely worrying about his son and Jaden Kitai is not strong enough and compelling enough to make this. Is he supposed to be a rebellious child? He doesn't seem to be. He wants. He just wants the attention and the um, confirmation of his father. It's like, okay, well, it just doesn't work, and it's not compelling to watch because Jaden is not good enough actor to do it. Simple. And the story doesn't have enough meat on the bone. It's just not enough of interest. Yeah. You don't have a film that reminded me of, um, for some reason, was Chaos Walking. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it's just bad all around thinking yeah. of these films in, together. If it's, again, another terrible film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for having to do that to you, but the rules are the rules in the sense we, we spin the wheel and the wheel picks what are we? What the are wheel picks? is to blame. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's time. It is time to spin that dial. Uh, let's just get that up there. There we go. Like very high tech. <laughs> Are we going 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years into the future? Oh, it's the past 20, 2003. 2003. Okay. I'm just going to uh, check my list here. Nervous about movies uh, came out in 2003 <laughs> so many good films uh 2003 we are going back to uh don't say terminator that. 3, terminator 3. <laughs> terminator 3. i think it's rise of the machines is that what it yeah. is yeah yep that's the uh, one yeah well you know there was some uh, believe it or not it could have been worse uh the yeah, films to pick from this week just fyi i should probably tell people first this mm. time um from 1973 roughly this time into 1973 we could have seen live and let die oh. uh for, for 1983 we could have seen twilight zone the movie which would have been interesting i like that film mm -hmm. um from 1993 this is where it gets really bad it's son-in-law so we could have gone to the uh connect shore uh paulie shore uh terminator 3 obviously from 2003 and from 2013, we had the roughly about this time of year, the Lone Ranger. Not a strong bunch. Not a strong, not a strong, not a strong week slash month for uh, the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Oof. Okay. Terminator 3 was a bad film mm -hmm. until you saw what came after it. 
fair. Yeah. And, um, it had some interesting talents on there. The main three characters obviously got Arnold Schwarzenegger in there, Nick Stahl, and Claire Danes. But it just, it's, nah. Like, I mean, I, I, I like some of these actors. Like, um, Claire Danes, I think, is actually a very interesting actor in the right roles. We talked uh, late last year or start of this year about um, Feynman is in trouble. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, and she was, she was good in that. Um, and she's really good in some of the Homeland. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, Fleischman's in trouble. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Um, but uh, she's no, no, I don't, wouldn't have thought of her for an action film like this. And, and, yeah. and Nick's, Nick Style, I mean, he was he, the best they could get. I mean, this film had probably a virtually unlimited budget. Yeah. And you're like, where did he come from? I don't think I've ever seen him in anything before or since. Well, uh, he was uh, Carnivale for um, uh, HBO for two seasons, and he played um, the uh, Yellow Bastard in Sin City, which was his... Okay big movie and then apparently he disappeared for like years Le- legitimately just vanished that's a good sign um <laughs> and jonathan mostow as you again jonathan mostow as he directed obviously james cameron didn't want to do it mm-hmm. who um you know like yeah. what the fuck right yeah. like, you, can, you can criticize disney's work on on star wars and, and i do um yeah. but yeah they did go out and they got jj abrams he was one of the biggest, best directors, you know, rebooted Star Star Trek, and you know, known yeah. for making high budget action films, and you know, uh, Ryan Johnson, you know, indie film darling, you know, and uh-huh. didn't fuck around with talent uh-huh. in those films. But no. you know, I don't wait. Anyway, you'll talk some more about Terminator Three in, in a couple of yeah. weeks. So more than uh, it's something to look forward to. It is streaming in Australia, by the way, on Binge or Stan. Binge and Stan. All right. Uh, I don't know about you overseas, friends. Binge. Should we go to the section that everyone loves dearly because of the jingle? Binge Brawls. Sure thing. And obviously it's been a few weeks since we've talked, but um, we can can maybe up it to three if you've got three. Um, But um, I've got uh, a burn to start with. Okay. And that is The Idol. This is in Australia. It's an HBO, sorry, a Max show. It should be called you know, HBO Max, what it used to be called. Yeah. Uh, it's the area in Australia on Binge. It stars Lily Depp, uh, Lily Lily Depp Rose. Rose and The Weeknd, who is yeah. a, a rapper or something. Um, yeah. And he wrote it as well as starring in it. Okay. Uh, Jocelyn is desperate to reclaim her rightful title as the greatest and sexiest pop diva in America after a nervous breakdown disrupted her most recent tour after Tedros, a notorious nightclub entrepreneur, reignites her passions. Uh, the Weekend plays Tedros. Lily Depp Rose plays Jocelyn. There's some talent on display here. Hank Azari is involved. Eli Roth pops up at one point in time. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of familiar faces in here. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I watched, so I watched the first episode, so I'll give that as the caveat. I could not get any further than this. I, I this is dross of the absolute highest order. <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible show. Um, but the weekend bad. feel bad. <laughs> you should feel bad about is like 
I don't know any of the weekend's music. Apparently, he's very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I he apparently uh, is the co-creator or, or writer of the show. Um, and this is one of the trivia notes here. April 25 last year, Variety reported the show would be reworked. It would undergo significant reshoots with changes to its cast and crew due to a change in creative directions. Reports at the time claimed that co-creator and actor The Weeknd, able of The Weeknd test Fay, felt the series is leaning too much into a female perspective, although he has cl- denied such claims. Okay. Uh, their director, who was a woman at that point in time, left the series uh, amid the creative overhaul, and Sam Levison took over, who I, I don't really know who he is. Uh, I think he cre- so he created Euphoria, which apparently yeah. is very popular with the young people, you know? Yes. Uh, I don't know, I've never seen it, but I have heard of it. Uh, yeah. Amy, Amy Simitz, um, uh, probably best known for the Girlfriend Experience TV show. Otherwise, I, oh, she also directed Summer Sweet Tooth, which is a show you've talked about. Oh, yeah. Um, this is terrible, terrible. He's a terrible actor. Uh, Lily Depp Rose, um, I think he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got some. She she looks great. The camera likes her. She's you know a beautiful, uh, beautiful young woman. Obviously, uh, good genetics. The only thing I've seen her in before this was yoga hoses. Yeah, is um difficult to judge anybody's acting ability <laughs> off. Um, you don't want to hear it, your horse, Uh, it, it's this is not good. This is really really terrible. Um, and I, I think it's going to be the one and done season. I think it got cut short even because it was so terrible mm-hmm. um but like it's exploitative mm-hmm. it's gross it's creepy and no just i would i would was just one of the worst things i've seen all year wow okay <laughs> a good burn to start with i am gonna go with a soft burn light brows for a netflix animated show because that's what I do. Um, Dragon Age Absolution. Is this manga? Uh, no, it's based on um, the EA games. Uh, right, yes. Dragon Dragon Age Absolution and um, uh, all, all the the whole franchise of them. Which, if you've ever played them, they are very deep, um, kind of Skyrim-like third-person perspective action adventure games very deep lore, a lot of world building in them, and they are ripe for in similar kind of sense to Dungeons and Dragons, where there is a lot of pre-existing lore to to go from. I don't really know too much about Dragon Age stories of them or anything like that. So I'm going just off of this show. And I have watched all six episodes that are out so far. The animation is very average. It is very, very um, kind of lowest common denominator. Tick the tick the boxes where we need to. Um, quite typical Americanization of more traditional Japanese anime style, with that very simple kind of aesthetic to the the color palette and things like that. There's a lot of Oh, I recognize that voice in it. Um, you've got Phil Lamar, who um, he's done so many voices, it's ridiculous. You've got Ashley Birch, Somali Montano, um, 
who else have we got in here? Matthew Mercer is one of the main voices uh, for, a, for a short time in it. So they've kind of called in all of the staples to make a fantasy animated TV show. But clearly there's no heart or love in it, especially when you compare it to some of the other animated stuff that Netflix have done, where they did a really good job with Castlevania. Um, they got good quality actors in there to do the voicing. They made a very compelling um, example of westernized anime style animation. It looked really good. They kept the story nice and succinct. It worked well. Even their reinventions of like She-Ra and things like that, the animation was different and they were using it to inform on the story and they did well. This is very paint by the numbers, very average. It is not bad, but the story is not particularly compelling. The characters are not particularly interesting. The animation is not awe-inspiring to make you watch. It's it's just something that you can put on in the background and do something else with. So that's dis- not a great endorsement. Disappointing considering the depth that they could have gone to. They could have done this as slight, like a fifteen, so like twelve to fifteen year old kind of age bracket where they could have pushed the barrier a little bit more, a little bit more on the violence, or a little bit more on the um, just the the more mature kind of storytelling. They just didn't. And Do you think if you're a, a fan of the, the, the source material, you might have you know, enjoyed no. it more? No, no, I don't think so. I think it would have been much like when you watched um, The Legend of Vox Machina for a little bit. There were there was obvious kind of inside references that are made, but beyond that, so like, I don't know, don't care. Um, and the story that you are presenting to me every episode is not particularly interesting. That's uh, not good. Oh, no, it's <laughs> no, not. You're, you're not selling it, but that is kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got another one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, this one is a browse. It's it's definitely in the browse category. And this is um, the Lonely Islands um, movie from 2020, uh, 2016, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. And... They uh, they came out with a run of kind of almost... This is a film though, right? Not a TV show, yes? It's a film. And they came out with a bunch of kind of parody movies, documentary style, which evoke a little bit of um, sort of like Christopher Guest and the guys that did... Um, a mighty wind and this is spinal tap and that sort of stuff with a little bit of almost airplane absurdity. And this particular one is about um, when it becomes clear that his solo album is a failure, a former boy band member does everything in his power to maintain his celebrity status. And it uses a lot of that documentary style filmmaking to keep you going through the story but it's just absurd like <laughs> um the endearing nature of andy sandberg if you like his comedy you will like this um as well as the rest of the team there's music in there that is perfectly ripping the shit out of um the hollywood pop scene <laughs> um 
for example, there's um, a, a song that he decides to write about gay rights, and it's sort of like, okay, yeah, it's a it's a really good message, but we have gay rights, uh, it, and it, yeah, it is okay to be gay, and it's just it's just absurd. But the the jokes, the problem with them is the jokes kind of go a little bit too long. Um, but if you like their stuff, then you'll, you'll like it. I, uh, probably about a year ago talked about, they did, um, a parody of, um, the Tour de France and it's like the most drug addled sport in the world. And it had some great little cameos from, I think John Cena was in there briefly and it's, it's absurd. It's brilliant. Um, this is not as funny as that. It is not as successful as that. But if you like this style of comedy, if you like parody and you like the Lonely Island guys, you're going to like this. So I definitely put it in the browse. It knows what audience it's shooting for, and that's it, it hits that audience. I have seen this film. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm. Um, the, the question I have is timing, like, 2016 wasn't exactly the golden age of a boy band anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, I know One Direction were probably still kicking around at one point in time there, but, like, I feel like the early 2000s, you know, Backstreet yeah. Boys, that kind of thing, Five, uh, NSYNC was kind of the moment for this. So it felt a little bit out of, like, a film, a parody out of time. Yeah. You know? But it's uh, it's solid. Yeah. It, it's that, – that's the good way of doing it. it it, uh, Tour de Pharmacy, sorry, is the name of the parody that I was um, trying to remember. But yeah, it's 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 not bad in any way, shape, or form. But if you don't like any of any, if you don't get the the Lonely Island guys comedy, you're not then, gonna you're not gonna get it. Yeah, if you didn't like you know their music and stuff like that, that you know, yeah. Oh, and I'm not a massive fan, but I think they're I'm not a massive Andy Sandberg fan, but I thought this was okay. Yeah. And if you're like old enough to meet, like me to have remembered living through the boy band age, yep, that'll help. It we survived it. <laughs> I have a uh, another burn for you. Yeah, it's, it's Burn City. This mm-hmm. is probably a, a softer burn than the idol. This one is, and this is going to be slightly controversial. Mm-hmm. That is a secret invasion. Um, so I oh, have watched the, the, the Disney first, show, the new Disney show, the uh, oh. Scrolls. Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury series. These Nick Fury mm. series been waiting around for for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not good. Uh, it's got a seven on IMDb, and I, I am at a, at a bit of a loss mm-hmm. about how who's watching it and thinks it's worth a seven. Some, I think the uh, the Marvel fanboys have been out there review bombing the right way, um, <laughs> and it's it's frustrating because. There are moments in this show where it really shines. Like in episode two, there's a, ser- there's a scene between uh, Nick Fury and uh, Rhodey, um, War Machine, the Don Cheadle. Oh, yeah, Don Cheadle. And, um, and it's fucking brilliant. It's one of the best scenes Marvel has shot mm-hmm. post Endgame. Okay. One of the best written scenes post Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, but it lives for about five minutes of the episode and then it's back to the same old shit it, it we've seen this before this is this is nothing we haven't seen before it feels like 
very similar to me to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And the bad part of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, um, you know, the world smashers or whatever they were called who were, you know, doing terrorist things, terrorists doing terrorist shit. And the superheroes have to, you know, find them and stop them and that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, great. Is this is this again? I mean, it's it's really dull. It's uh, seriously, seriously dull. It look, it's trying to be like, you know, um, a little bit more mature, like oh, mm. it's you know spy stuff, and it's like an yeah. espionage show, but you know, um, with your Marvel characters in it at the mm. same time. I mean, I can't believe in the first two episodes they just haven't gone with what the super, 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 super obvious option is, and mm. that's the thing. Mm. That's what the scrolls are. They are the thing. Mm. You know? <laughs> And like you know, if, if you can't write, and the people at Marvel High these days cannot write, mm. so uh, rip somebody off. And if you're gonna rip somebody off, make it good. Yeah. Um, so rip off John Carpenter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, um, and it's disappointing because I'm, I've heard people talk about it, comic book readers who talk about the Secret Invasion storyline as being one of the best comic book storylines out there that Marvel could have used. Mm-hmm. Um, this talk they could have used. This could have been the, you know Phase Five and Six. You know the instead of Kang the Conqueror, they could have used the Secret Invasion yeah. uh, arc as their, as their next phase of their big bad, but they chose to blow it on a TV show, mm-hmm. which just feels undercooked and lazy. So just to be first five minutes of the first episode, uh, Martin Freeman turns up at a safe house in Moscow mm-hmm. to interview somebody who's worried about a thing, uh, that the scrolls are amongst us and doing nefarious things. And he basically goes, oh, here you go. Here's all the information I have about the scroll conspiracy and that they might be really living amongst us. And I'm really worried the scrolls are living amongst us. And, oh, you're the only one I trust. What, what odds would you give me of that information that he was actually a scroll? Mm. Like, fucking guaranteed he is. Like, mm-hmm. like but I'm not stupid. Uh, you know, could you make it – like, why would you – uh, and as I said, there's, there's waste some fantastic actors in this. Uh, as I mentioned, Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury. Your interest level in the show goes up every time uh, Sam's on screen. Sam's great. Sam does you know Nick Fury perfectly now. Mm-hmm. So Don Cheadle shows up a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You know that he does his best with very limited material. Mm-hmm. Olivia Coleman is in the series as well. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic when she's being menacing. Mm-hmm. Um, she does a very cheerful British menacing character quite well. Mm. I guess she, she must have learned that when she was playing the Queen. Hey, oh, <laughs> it's all right. I did it there. Um, <laughs> ben Mendelssohn back again after. Ben Mendelssohn oh. is wasted again. Like Interesting. He plays Talos, mm-hmm. uh, the scroll, friendly scroll, mm-hmm. with an Australian accent. And initially I was like, oh, it's kind of cool to see Ben using his Aussie accent around. He doesn't use it much in Hollywood. But yeah. If you're trying to fit in as a scroll, which most scrolls are, just trying to blend into the background as a normal human being, why would you choose an Australian accent? <laughs> like anywhere outside Australia, you stand out like dog's balls. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, we also have um, Amelia Clark, mm-hmm. and she is fast becoming the kiss of death for just about everything I've ever seen her in. She was terrible mm-hmm. in Terminator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know she's pretty bad in this. Um, it's it's really really 
disappointing. Two, look, I, mean, I might go back for one more, but uh, you you landed this a little bit before me. I think you were over Marvel. I think earlier than I was, but I'm yeah. I'm done. I'm just about done with this. If you anything can't make anything with the Disney name on it, it's just like nope, not anymore. They need to tear this down, and they need to start again. Yeah. Um. They need to go back. I need to. Say Kevin Feige, give him a paycheck. You've been fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Go out and hire the last person you would expect to hire to do a Marvel film. I don't know who that is. Go out and hire somebody out of left field who is incredibly, outrageously creative, and get them to do one. And let them off the chain. And they, they get his. Fifty million dollars. That's not much for a Marvel film. No. Um, Make and this. do something. Don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. It has to have a PG thirteen rating, probably because. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel. Though, though again. Yeah. If they want to be radical about it, maybe an R rating would be good. Do yeah. something. It's someone radically, outrageously creative. I don't know who that is because I'm not a Hollywood talent scout, but like mm. somebody, and just just stay out of their way. Give mm-hmm. six months and fifty million dollars, and come back and see what's done at the end of it. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe you lose fifty million bucks, but shit. I mean, I think they're going to start losing that kind of money anyway. But like, this is on the diminishing returns are getting fast. Yeah. So anyway, the last thing I'll say about this is the real under that one of the real things that undermine this film is to really remind yourself of what's going on with a, what a scroll is, mm-hmm. what they do, and what happens, why they're why this TV show is happening, you need to revisit Captain Marvel. Yeah. And that's not something I was very interested in doing, and I think it's something that not many people are interested in doing because yeah. it was fairly mediocre at best. And that was so, only four years ago. It's four years ago. So you're like, what happened in that film again? I really need to go back and see it again. Do I need to? Yeah. I don't know. You know, so it's it's very weak and it's a soft burn for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, my last thing that I will just talk about, considering it is still somewhat topical with Indiana Jones, is I have got a definite burn, which is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> is that a fan film? Yes, it's a fan fan film. It was um, directed by um, K.K. Babrams. No, it wasn't. Uh... <laughs> we, we've actually been gone through and revisited all three indie films this week in probably going to mm-hmm. see we can see the new one yeah um and michelle's like we got through last crusade last night she's like so are we going to watch crystal skull and i thought oh, no mm. oh, i haven't seen it since it came out so mm. maybe it's not as bad as i thought it was 15 years ago you're saying it was yep not that bad that's <laughs> My silence. That, that's that, that's enough. I I have suffered it too many times in my life now. <laughs> well, uh, I will leave us with one light of hope, and I'll I'll, I'll keep it brief because we're pushing the hour half mark. Yeah, that uh, is season two of the Bear. Okay. Now, those who remember, I loved season one. I thought it was sensational. Uh, it's about a chef in the fine dining world who runs to Chicago to run his family sandwich shop when his brother kills himself. Mm. The first season is very much about him coming to terms with working in a sandwich shop in Chicago and the people who work there, who've worked there for years and years and years, coming to terms with Kami, uh, played by 
Uh, Jeremy Allen White, Carmen, Kami Berizato. Kami is a, where he's worked in Michelin Star Kitchens, and he brings that philosophy to his sandwich shop. And these recipes are sandwich cooks, you know. They're not used to mm. calling him chef and wee chef and stuff like that. So it's about that um, that friction and how they all sort of come together as a team at the end. Um, I won't spoil what happens at the end of a season in case there are people out there who have not seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, season two basically revolves around them building and opening their own restaurant. Uh, changing from a sandwich shop into an actual proper fine dining restaurant. Uh, the cast characters back, we are joined in season two by uh, Bill Odenkirk and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for at least one episode. Okay. Um, well, I was going to so say, think- just looking through the cast, the only two that I know is Joe McHale and Oliver Platt. And Joe McHale's in like one scene. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, these, I think you're going to start seeing these actors pop up a little bit more because I think. John Burnfall's in an episode, mm-hmm. two episodes as well. So, um, I, I, it's, it's been very highly regarded. The first episode okay. made a bit of a splash. Though, one criticism here: this is aired yeah. in the United States. I don't know if the whole thing's aired, but a lot of it has. Mm-hmm. It on Hulu. This is made for Hulu. Yeah. Who owns Hulu? Disney. Disney. Is it airing on Disney Plus in Australia yet? Bet no. no. Next, later in a matter of months ago um so fuck you disney like you own a thing let me watch it please yep. uh i would like to watch it on the streaming service i pay for but you're not putting it on there so i will find other ways to watch it sorry yep. um season two is very good it starts <laughs> slow but it really heats up quickly um they also do the thing that you've talked about streaming shows doing uh needing to do in mm-hmm. the sense of like, if they want a one-hour episode, they can do a one-hour episode, and they do. Um, most of the episodes are about half an hour, but one of the episodes we just started watching last night um, is actually a full hour, and you're like, uh, "Brilliant! This is what you should do." You, you, it's just not re- network television. You can do whatever it's fuck you every part. Mate. Yeah, there's no problem. You can do whatever you want. It's yeah. streaming television. Just put it together however you want. You want an hour episode? Fine. You want a two-hour episode? Yeah, whatever, you know. Um, if that's what your story needs, do it. Um, so if you watch season one uh, and you're hanging out, well, you'll get it soon on Disney+, Plus, I assume, or you can start watching it early like me. Um, if you haven't watched season one yet, it was one of the best new shows of 2022, so I strongly encourage you to go back and have a look. Uh-huh. I'm putting this in the binge category. Okay. My last very, very quick one, because I've only just started watching it, is that season three, um, Henry Cavill's final season of The Witcher is now um, mostly online. We've got the first uh, five episodes of season three have been released. um, And then uh, the rest are coming. The last three are coming at the end of this month. And I am going to call this now my interest has dropped because i know that henry cavill's leaving henry cavill is still very good as gerald um but everything else is like i don't really care about any of these characters and bringing liam hemsworth in to replace him i that's not going to do any good because people are who are fans of just the witcher as a property either the video games or the books that 
changing the character halfway through it's, it's not, you're setting liam up for for failure he's either got to do an impression of henry cavill to keep it going and people just play on as if like yep this is exactly still the same character even though it's very very obviously not the same person so no one uh, but it, it there's just it's i think that they are going to get to the end of season five if the viewership numbers are not high they're going to release the last three and then maybe the writers strike will serve them well and they can go you know what we're cancelling we're not going ahead with season four because i think what they're going to do for this season is they knew already that henry cavill was going out i think they're going to try and spend a little bit more time at other characters trying to get us invested into them but they're all assholes and all rather boring. I'm not interested in them, and I want to watch The Witcher, not mm. the political person who whose name I can't remember here. I, I think that we may, may, may possibly get the season four with Liam Hemsworth, but then it's going to be something like, you know what, we're going to stop that. <laughs> and they'll it's relaunch somehow. It could be, um, it could be like the heroes back at the uh, writer strike from fifteen years ago. Yep. Strange. You, the people that we pay not enough money to write these things that do a great job and make us want to really enjoy them, when they step away, you can't do their job. Give them, give them what they want. Everyone wins. Don't hold your breath. No. Um, yeah. That. Ties that, are going yeah. around it, I think. Yes, that, um, that so is, I missed that, that with a switch. Is that a is that a binge or is that a browse or is that a burn? That is uh I I wanna say browse, but it's a burn. It, the, the, the show's dead. No, there's no there's no investment in it. It's dead. It's burn. Burn. Burn the witch. <laughs> Hats off to you. We barely knew you. Um <laughs> Uh, that's that's, that, that's it for this week, I think, though. That is it for this week. Um, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about our chain movie of the week, which was Con Air. I have picked Bringing Out the Dead for our next one, the Nicolas Cage, Martin Scorsese movie from 1999. We talked about After Earth, because Travis doesn't like me and neither does Luck of a Wheel Spin. And we talked about Renfield. We have got Terminator 3 as our um, spin, uh, spun wheel, wheel, wheel spun movie. Yeah, wheel spun movie. Um, and no 20 doubt, years ago this week. Yes, 20 years ago this week. And no doubt we will probably have some words to say about uh, this new Indiana Jones movie that they haven't revisited since Last Crusade. Indeed. First time in 30 years. Yep. First time in 30 years. <laughs> but on that note thank you very much ladies and gentlemen don't forget you can like share and subscribe it does help viewers um does help us with our podcast we are going to be going back to our regular routine from now on and um please follow us at evil trav at the fried brain facebook twitter youtube everywhere you will find those delightful armchair producers as glorious white noise until next time, good night. Night.